Should we, okay, for podcast intro, are we going to continue doing the around the horn style, or should we introduce each person and they say some uh, funny comment or anecdote, or what? I don't well, know. Well, that's too much thought. It's, Thoughts? Uh... No, if I say, like, I'm blah, 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 and uh, from Laramie, Wyoming, the one, the only, Josh Walrath, and then Josh says, hi, everybody, and then I say, how is uh, Laramie, Josh? I say it's ha- cold and icy. It got warm. Oh, is it cold again? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think it went Has below. that been screwing with your sinuses at all? No, not right. too bad. See, that's that's one way. That's one format. That's all. I've just been thinking about. Yes, how, it's, it's especially if we ever right have now. additional people on the podcast, it becomes harder to just do the like rigid. All right, I say my name, and then I wait, and then somebody says, "Whatever." It's like you haven't done this 500 times or something. Yeah. I know. Anything to boost the ratings. Fine. I'll take my shirt off. Jeez. All right. Cool. (sighs) I'm Jim Tannis, and I'm addicted to (laughs) Cheez-Its. See? Wait. Are you seriously? You like Cheez-Its. Who doesn't like Cheez-Its? They've got all kinds of flavors now. You got they like, they taste like love Cheez-Its. They've got like oh. orange flavor and purple flavor and blue flavor now? No, they got like garlic and white cheddar and uh, ch- okay. cheddar and right. bacon white, and, could... and zesty right. spice. Is that what you eat or do you eat the standard That's... orange ones? I don't know. I'm usually in the dark and it's I'm crying and it's... <laughs> It's I, I I don't really recall. You say that lot. to be funny, but I suspect it might actually be true. That's yeah, how you eat cheese? It's I, I don't even remember eating them. I just look at my Amazon Prime delivery history. So anyway, wow. oh no, that's really bad because that means you're probably ordering the cases. Well, no, it's the Prime now, so you're just paying a markup on the regular size boxes. I don't have Prime now where I live. The last time I ordered any kind of snack on Amazon, it was Doritos, and it was the little vending machine size bags. The box came, and it was surprisingly large. And then I I opened it up, and it was, like, more than I could ever eat before the expiration. They were in, like, every cabinet. Like, they, we have a cabinet above our microwave. Fire. And it was comp- – I, I was stuffing them in and, like, sh- cramming the cabinet door shut, and they were, like, everywhere. They were all over the kitchen. Yeah, they like do. Heaven. They'd expire. Hmm. And uh, we could not eat enough of them, and we ended up throwing a bunch of them away. It was sad. Yeah. Okay. Save them for Halloween. Any for... Even better, save them two years, and then give them away at Halloween. <laughs> uh, the few trick-or-treaters we ever get, I'll scare them away forever. Uh we're still doing like numbers and everything, right, Jim? Is that has that changed? Any further clarification on that nonsense? I mean, well, no. so Apple came out and said, "Whoa, we didn't necessarily mean that." Uh, I don't know if they if that's true or if like enough big podcasts push back. But yeah, I guess we're still doing the numbers because I don't know how how else to order them. Uh, we're, we're, for those who don't know, we're talking about there was a, a, a an incident a week or so ago where Apple came out and said, "Hey, if you put the name of your show or the episode number in the podcast title we're going to take your podcast off of itunes and literally everyone said what the hell that's how we name all of our shows and uh apple backtracked quickly so yeah that's dumb good yeah well you know actually we could experiment this week 
because this is there's been several weeks where we've had some fun discussion before the official start of the show and i don't know how to like put it into the final episode so we could just like cut to live like just the show has already begun and this is all just going to go out somebody's going to get their rss you know notification and join us live in progress that works for me yeah yeah so this is episode if five you showed up on time you'd know what was happening uh-huh. but you didn't yeah Episode 535. It's March 7, 2019. Thank you for making us part of our part of your world tonight. And this is Cheese It Weekly. I, I, I need to go get my dog in. He's barking. Oh, is, that a, is that a metaphor? That's not how the song goes. Is the dog inside, Josh? The dog is inside. All right. It's inside every one of us. Yeah. Hmm. That's the secret. I was in the San Francisco airport connecting yesterday, and there's a next to the bathrooms in one of the main concourse areas where you go to the different the different gate the sections. Dog potty area. Yeah, it says dog or pet relief area, and it was just a it was a door, <laughs> and I couldn't I didn't know what. And I'm like, is it just a tile floor with drains and hoses and shit? I mean, what what is in there? How did it... no? It's like this big grass stuff. Oh, okay. Last I saw. Do you have to clean but it yeah, up? Yeah, everybody's got like emotional support animals. Yeah. I thought airlines were cracking down on that. Wasn't Delta one of the first to say that you you can't have it just as a support animal? You can't have an emotional support turkey? Yeah. What about my emotional, emotional support, support skunk? Well, I thought a possum would be, but you know, people actually do have <laughs> possums with pets. So, I don't know. Well, let's get it moving. Yep. Please. Please. Once again, Josh is being pushy. Jim, make Josh stop being pushy. Well, what happens in your personal life, Josh? Uh, Nothing good. No, I mean, what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. Oh, 50 Shades of Josh coming summer 2019. If you're just joining us, this is the official podcast of PC Perspective. The website that gives you reviews, news, and uh, if you watch our live stream, pithy commentary and uh, emotional support animals. Actually, Jim, did you? Is it possible that animal relief was not what you thought it was, and that uh, people were misusing the room? It was San Francisco, so. I don't want to make any assumptions. You're like animal Someone relief. You go in and it's like emotional you know, support bowl. <laughs> clean water, various kinds of animals. Couldn't food, find it for and, hours. And there's Jim oh. relieving himself in the fake grass. And nobody said anything because it's San Francisco, apparently. Uh. So we had three reviews go up this week. Uh, one of which was this card right here. Or this, this is the box, actually, the card is right here. This is uh, EVGA's RTX 2060 XC Ultra card, which may or may not be no, in focus right now. No, XC is new, right? This they haven't been doing XC as a family before. I don't think so. I don't recognize it, and I'm mad that it's not XTC. I, I, I'm, it truly upsets me on a personal level. I'm sorry, Jeremy. You Have you, did you check out company? my uh, review of this card? Jeremy, Josh, have you seen the results? Maybe. 
No, that's a no, isn't it? Well, okay. The thing about this card, while you catch up, is it is what factory overclock. Because uh, like SSC was super super clocked. Yeah, this it's is just extra XC. clocked. Extra clocked for her I pleasure. Yeah. I have not asked uh, Jacob what the XC stands for. It's an excellent question. Maybe it stands for excellent. XC for excellence. Uh, what it, the, at least the way I understand it in the product stack, the XC Ultra card is one of the higher clocked, like factory OC cards. So the the stock boost clock for the RTX twenty sixty is. 1680 megahertz i think and this one is 1830 but that's if you leave it alone and this has a plus 114 percent or a 114 percent power limit so you can push this farther and a wet look and that was what i set out to do so if you're looking at the specs (laughs) there's not a whole lot going on here outside of like the stock 2060 except for that boost clock still has the same 160 watt tdp as well which i thought was kind of interesting but it it definitely can exceed that when overclocked as i discovered but uh right off the bat um i ran stock well just real uh, quick out of yeah you know since you're going through pictures what about the build quality what about the design is it is it the same uh is it the same pcb as as like the reference or the founder's edition is it does it look a little bit more over-designed? I mean, what are the kind of the components? I know they're, they've got the dual fan and they've got the, the, the heat sink that comes off the back, if, if you want to show that, Jim. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, you know, kind of scroll back up to the... I mean, just, just yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting design card. And I mean, it's, what, a quarter longer than a regular one? I mean, tell me about it. That's a very attractive question, Josh, or series of questions, and I'm glad you brought them up because I was going to skim over that part. But yes, the think about the remember the GTX 970 cards where a lot of them had that cooler that extended quite a bit past the PCB, which was actually a pretty short PCB for that that product. Yeah, this is kind of the same thing. The GTX or the sorry the RTX 2070 and 2060, pretty much they're the same core their tu106 they have the same board design i have not taken the cooler off of this to examine the voltage regulation and stuff like that but this is you a shorter quite card a bit back. yeah it's it's pretty stock i mean they've increased the power limit and boosted the clock but i would not be surprised if this was pretty standard as far as the board components but we shall see. I think the, the only thing that they really emphasized with this was this cooler, which is their dual slot cooler design, uses uh, fluid dynamic bearing fans. Uh, the This is also available in a single fan short form factor that uses a 2.75 slot, which is actually a full three slot design. It has three a three slot bracket. So it, it makes it a little bit uh, interesting to find smaller cases that actually have the three slots if you're in mini ITX. But standard connectivity to display port hdmi dual link dvi nothing crazy there still a one eight pin pci express power connector on this so the 160 watt tdp means it has to take at least 10 watts of power from the slot in addition to the 150 unlike you know the gtx 1660 ti which we looked at a week or so ago which gets all of its power 
from the PCI Express power connector, because even though that is a much lower power card at around 120 watts, it still has an eight pin power connector, which is kind of odd, though it does give those cards the potential for a lot of overclocking headroom. Sebastian, EVGA was, uh, they, they released that adapter that moved the power connectors to the back of the card for cable management or to the, you know, to the butt end yeah. of the card. And, you know, with this one having it sort of, it's not in the middle, but it's sort of like two thirds over for the PCIe connector. How does that look? I mean, it, was that uh, a troublesome? Because I know you're into aesthetics and stuff. Is, was, is that a, an issue for good looking case uh, layout and cable management? I will answer that as soon as uh, I can get them to send me one of those adapters because I don't have one. Okay. But as far as like managing cables in the case, it is a little bit problematic unless you have it in a situation where you can just smoothly wrap the power connector around the back of the card. But it's a little odd. I, I really liked the reference card for that reason because the the Founders Edition RTX 2060 has the power connector right on the back which reminded me of those old 5000 series ATI cards. I think it was a 5770 that shipped with a six pin power connector, like kind of hidden in the back of the like fan shroud. And so you could kind of hide the power connector completely. There was nothing on the top. So it's, it's an interesting choice. I mean, it's, it's because really they're taking a short card and they're putting a long heat sink on it. The same exact card with the smaller cooler that they sell then obviously then suddenly the power connector is on the back of the card instead of being. So it's kind of like having a kind of like having a long coat with a short dress. Yeah. I mean, you never know where one ends and the other begins. Is this a song reference? Am I missing something? It is pop culture. Yeah. Sorry. But yeah, I don't think the uh, EVGA, you know, power thing will fit on that puppy. But anyway, let's, Let's talk about performance. Yeah. Were you, even though it was a, a you know, kind of reference design, I mean, they probably haven't done it. I remember, you know, reviewing some EVGA cards back in the past, and and they, they don't do a whole lot with with the components. It's it's just kind of plain Jane, but they still are able to clock it up relatively fast. And is that what happens here? That's, that's, that's me asking you. Or- yeah, if you look at the results on the first page of results, which is just stock, like out of the box, overclocked settings uh, or factory overclocked, it basically leapfrogs one or even two cards ahead of the Founders Edition. Like it'll it'll beat the 1070 Ti pretty regularly, uh, depending on the game. Where you know the first games we're looking at here, Ashes of Singularity is like the worst case for these Nvidia cards because it it very much favors the AMD cards in most of the tests. You move to Far Cry 5, another game that's more Radeon optimized. And it's still beating the Founders Edition, of course. And we have higher clocks here. And in some cases, it's it's moving up two places, even three places. And so you're getting very nice gains without doing anything, just because the boost clock is higher. You're dealing with an 1830 megahertz boost clock and a very effective cooler design that... And GPU Boy, boost 4.0 is extremely temperature dependent. So you want to keep the GPU as cool as possible if you want to sustain higher boost clocks. That is a lot of back and forth in between this and the, the GTX 1080, which, yeah. you know, of course, yeah. when that was released, it was, uh, what, a 699, 599 
card. I can't remember exactly. That's six ninety. I think it was right? technically four ninety nine, but a lot of them were more. Like that was what they had listed it at. But I want to say the Founders Edition was a hundred dollars oh. more. Yeah, it was a lot more. But anyway, oh, true. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's serious. That's uh, that makes you makes you feel a little bit better about the RTX twenty sixty because when it first came out, I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's 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 kind of worth worth the price that that you pay, but this isn't a whole lot more money than the founder's edition. And it, and it's battling with that, uh, you know, the 1070 TI, the 1080 pretty consistently. But Josh, there's more. But what? Oh, if you move on to the more. next page without any voltage modification, just increasing the power limit to the max 114%, the temperature limit up to the 87 C max, you can either run the OC scanner, which I did and, after the second time I ran it with a more aggressive fan profile, I got the plus 90 megahertz core clock that I'd already settled on through trial and error. This thing would go to like 105 and even 120, depending on the resolution and the application, but it was not completely stable across the board unless I'd lowered it back to 90. But that's plus 90 over the factory overclock, which is a pretty heavy overclock for an RTX 2060. And it showed like I was getting about 2.1 gigahertz sustained boost clock and i also overclocked the memory which is something that oc scanner will not do by default and i we talked about memory overclocking with gddr6 with the gtx 1660 ti review where i just added a gigahertz of effective speed and it was totally stable with this one i decided to do the same thing even though the rtx 2060 cards by default are faster than the gtx 1660 ti we're dealing with uh that kind of intentional segmentation where you have 12 gigabit per second and then you go to 14 with the GTX uh, or the RTX 2060 and 2070 cards. Well, this one, I bumped it up another one gigahertz and it was also completely stable. So apparently GDDR6 is quite overclockable and that definitely helped. So if, well, if you look at the results, you're seeing... Yeah, yeah, it depends on the game, but there were th- there was one game, Far Cry 5 at 1440, where it just edged out a 2070, a totally stock 2070, which is, uh, I have EVGA's Black Edition, which is bone stock, no factory overclock. And it's basically tied. If you, It depended on you know, whether you rounded one or two digits, whether it was tied or not. And at that point, it was beating a 1080 consistently, and it was a close second behind an RTX 2070 across the board. So... For a $20 premium over a stock RTX 2060 and a very easy overclock. And maybe not every card will go plus 90. Maybe they'll go plus 75. Even so, it will still give you a huge lift in performance without even a lot of extra noise. I don't crank the fans up to 100% when I overclock these cards. I just give them a, a slightly more aggressive fan profile. I used EVGA's Precision X1 program for this to do the fans. And it never got that loud. Under standard load, it was under 37 decibels max. And even when I overclocked, it was only somewhere around four, uh, 3840. So a, a quiet card, excellent out-of-the-box performance because of the factory overclock, but even better if you push it just a little bit farther. And that's, again, with no voltage modifications. I, I don't know if I could get maybe a little bit more headroom if I undervolted this card. Maybe I could stabilize that 120 megahertz overclock if I overvolted the card. I didn't get that far. But just with a very basic overclock, I was seeing kind of the same gains I saw over the Founders Edition again over the stock results. So you can get 
really close to a 2070 with this card for $379. And, you know, the cheapest uh, 2070 you're going to find is going to be 499. But a lot of those, if you check Newegg, they pretty much start at like 550. I think EVGA is one of the few places that are you're going to be able to find the card for its MSRP. Their less expensive cards are often kind of going in and out of stock, I've noticed. And that includes this one, which unfortunately yesterday, when I published the review, uh, had already gone out of stock. It was to auto-notify status on EVGA.com, and Amazon was selling it for like a $20 premium. So when you can find it at its list price, it is a heck of a deal. I gave it the editor's choice because of the performance and the fact that it's a very small premium. Like we've we've seen a lot of these overclock cards that command like a fifty dollar premium or more. And this is do you like the hard to logo on the uh, on the fans on the actual fan blades? Not I actually don't. But it looks a little goofy. But you know, the old Molson Dry ads where they, they made it look like the beer actually had little drops of water on it. Every time I we see that, that style, it makes me think of that. Those bumps would induce some turbulence. I mean, kind of think of uh, think of a golf ball. I mean, you've got all the bumps on there, and, and you travel farther, so you're obviously going to travel far. No, that's not right. You're, you may actually accelerate uh, the air moving through and create some turbulence, and that's going to increase cooling. If enough turbulence, it's going to increase the fan noise. But if you say that it's not annoying at all, then, you know, it's it, it would be kind of interesting to do some some fluid dynamic type testing on on that and see what it actually does, if anything. Or is it How just much extra pressure does it put on that PCI slot? I mean, it's got to be pushing against that PCI slot just a little bit harder. It flies away, man. You know... Those are all excellent questions. I will say it doesn't really spin very fast. This is one of those cards where <laughs> under at idle, there's not spinning at all. And then under load, they, they spin like as slowly as possible. This, this cooler is overkill for this card, honestly. But you know, based on like, if you check the review, you can see the load temps and uh, power draw. And actually, just speaking of power draw, the Founders Edition of the RTX 2060 consumes quite a bit more power and i'm not sure why and that was consistent and i because i went back and retested both cards and like at under load the full draw was 237 with the founders edition and only 203 with this card and i'm guessing that the founders edition is maybe a little bit more aggressive with voltage it it does seem to consume a little bit more power at idle and load than i would have expected it to but this evga card goes right back to kind of like the normal uh, power levels that you'd expect to see from a 2060 based on the specs and the TDP. Under full load overclocked, however, I got it all the way up to 289 watts total system draw, which means the card itself was pulling more than 200 watts because this system under load is about 75, 75, 80. So you have to factor in, you know, whenever you measure from the wall, which is not like the ideal way to measure because you're you're also factoring in the inefficiency of the power supply this is a gold rated power supply from corsair so that means only about 90 percent or so optimally of the total draw from the wall is actually what the system is using so anyway 
some sort of math later, it's pulling over 200 watts under full load, I think. Certainly well over the 160 TDP. So using quite a bit of that PCI Express slot power. Moving on, unless somebody objects. No, please. We have a Cooler Master MK730 Mechanical Gaming Keyboard Review. This was posted by Chris Koch, one of our contributors who does a lot of peripheral reviews for the site. And what's interesting about this is that it is a TKL or 10 keyless version of the flagship Master Keys MK750. And of course, since he had this in for review, since the review was finished, they have announced an MK850, which is that, I think, $200 keyboard that has the pressure-sensitive keys. This does not have any such technology. It's using Cherry MX Red, blue and brown key switches. And, of course, it's a compact keyboard. It's 10 keyless. And you can check out Chris's full review. I'll give you a quick synopsis. He is a fan. He liked it quite a bit. Uh, no real complaints about keycaps, uh, like the the spacing of the keys or anything like that, like he did with the last review. He had some reservations about some of the choices they made with the very compact and, and narrower spacing of their uh, low-profile keyboard. But this is just kind of your standard mid-high-end a gaming keyboard with cherry keys and he he said it was a smaller version of a keyboard i very much enjoyed when it released in 2017 and the tkl lives up to my expectations and he gave it the gold award so the only concern he has at all is pricing where he would have liked to see this closer to around a hundred dollars i think the list price on this is 119 we'll see if it shows up on sale anywhere it's actually not far behind the full-size version as far as pricing so if you like a keyboard with a numpad that's around 124 5 129 we saw it on sale so not much more expensive for the full-size version of this but there are quite a few people who like the tkl keyboards too so you're not and really I, getting a big discount i, I like that he uh he pointed out because i i've i've learned reading chris's reviews he and i think alike he this has got the blue switches this particular model and i agree that th- that's my preferred switch because it's good you know it, it can be good for gaming it's not the fastest response but it's it's a good compromise for gaming and, and productivity because i just can't type on those ultra sensitive gaming keyboards like my error rate gets too high so i'd love me some clicky satisfying clicky blue switches for my keyboard is that because is are the the blues don't actuate as fast right because you that, have you get through that initial point where you have the tactile feel there's like a bump and then as you depress further, does it actuate or does it actuate at the bump? That's my understanding is because you, you, you feel you have to press more to get an actuation. And when I'm on uh, more sensitive switches, even just because I'm used to resting my hands on the keys and I'll find myself pressing F1 and then like a thousand help menus in Chrome open up uh, at the top or I'll, I'll have my finger resting on the the D key and something I look up in my document has a thousand D's in it. Um, you, you have to push much further down to get an actuation uh, or, or to get a response, I should say, uh, on the blue switches from the keyboards I, that I used. What's everyone else's uh, keyboard preference? Josh? I've got some Microsoft multimedia keyboard 4000 or something. Just so membrane. membrane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's ergonomic, which is is makes me happy when I type, um, because a lot of those ergo, um, you know, heavy duty switches keyboards are pretty janky, and not to mention expensive. I'd like to eventually have one, but 
for now, I just use this one. You sound like you're just begging for me to send you some keyboards to review, Josh. No, will, no, no. I will put no, that on the list. No. Nope. Yes. Josh explores the world of mechanical keyboards. Actually, there are some mechanical ergonomic keyboards out there, Josh. You would be a great candidate yeah. to review one of those, too. Yeah, Pop is uh, Jeremy, I... Oh, oh what? Jeez. Now, do you have... Jeremy, I... I peg you as a guy who would use an IBM Model M. No, keyboard, no, right? God, stop pegging. <laughs> no, I prefer the washable ones. It, it, it's, Why is it's this like literally little... a, a K310 <laughs> from Logitech that when I spill the beer on it, I can go and put it in the sink, and as long as you don't completely submerge it, you can wash it out, and it's okay. And if it finally dies, it was like 35 40 bucks. A Model M, I mean, it's... Bloody hell, those things are a couple hundred bucks. I wouldn't want to use it. Because, you know, I, I don't necessarily pay attention when I'm doing things at the computer. And I've got a cat. And the cat hates everything. As Well, I mean, that's, you know, repeating myself. But So, yeah, no, I don't really value valuable keyboards because they die. They die horrible deaths. I guess I don't have to feel as bad about being really nervous to even review the Topre Real Force keyboard I reviewed a couple of years ago, which had a list price of two forty nine. Like I had a one year old in the house when I was reviewing that and I was just terrified something was gonna happen because half the time when I was reviewing things back in those days I was like carrying him around or to get him to quiet down he'd be in my lap while I was typing up a review. I'm like, this is two hundred and fifty dollars. What if something happens? What if I spill a cup? But I reviewed it and it went right back in the box. <laughs> uh, moving on real quick. We have Maury's review of another water block. This is the SwiftTech Apogee SKF Heirloom Series CPU water block. And I'm looking and there are so many customizable options here. SwiftTech Heirlooms make it personal is their slogan. Because you can choose green, pink, red, gold, orange, et cetera, et cetera. And very premium pack. Oh, it comes in a wooden box. I'm worried about the price on this. It, there's words like heirloom. I'm seeing wooden boxes. wonder if this is like $200. That's that? nine, 90 bucks. Oh, just $90. What? Okay. $90. Which, which he says is high. For the for box? This... No, for the, for the, uh, the water block. <laughs> okay. He did say it reminded him of a cigar box, which then had me craving cigars, but it's cold Did outside. it smell like cigars? Did they repurpose cigar boxes after smoking the cigars? Is, is this a fair trade uh, water block? Is that, is that recovered wood? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to know these things. Otherwise, I, I, will, I will stage a protest or what maybe is, build what a guitar out of it. Uh, he didn't. He just said it is was that wood. Teak? Is that rosewood? Is it just a veneer? Is that plastic? Uh, he described yeah, it as brown teak. colored. <laughs> <laughs> he said brown colored wood. So that's uh, as far as we got. Particle we'll board. To... Particle board does whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it looks good in the pictures. It does. It looks it looks too good in the pictures. It makes me suspicious of this ninety dollars price. Because really, if you look at Amazon, or I mean, there there of course there are less expensive water blocks. I think I've seen forty, fifty dollars water blocks. If you go into the 
enthusiast websites. And I want to say frozen CPU, but of course I never know what the status of that site is. And I think there's performance PCs is the one that comes to mind. I'm not a big liquid cooling aficionado. Which or... site had the meltdown a few years ago where like a cor- there were like an employee said he came into the office one day and like they were just cleaning out and they didn't, they took a bunch of money and didn't fulfill the orders. Was that performance PC? And or trashed frozen? the place too. That was yeah, frozen PC yeah. or frozen frozen. CPU, yeah. Okay. Like literally okay. trashed it, like threw inventory everywhere and was like smashing things and turning over shelves and stuff. So apparently there's some sort of possible substance abuse issue there. And mm. I was getting all of my news from like forums about that, but I guess they came back. Anyhow, uh, he lists more, he lists strengths and weaknesses, basically good performance stock and overclocked. He liked the customizability aspect, which is nice. Lighting abilities. Build quality is good. Weaknesses, he listed price, the lack of nickel plating on the block base plate. I saw that was bare copper. And increased flow resistance resulting from the density of the microchannel design. That's That sounds pretty bad, but I mean, obviously the performance was still good, but still earned a silver award from Mori. And as we move on to our laundry list of news items for the week, Jeremy, I was very, very pleased when you posted news about the USB Super Friends here to save us from the USB IF. And I have my own theory about this, but I will wait until you explain to our viewers and listeners what the heck I'm talking about. Well, the, the thing is that it's schizophrenia of some description because these are the same people. The USB Promoters Group is a part of the USB IF, the the ones that brought us USB 3.2 Gen 2X2 and USB 3.2 Gen 2 and USB 3.2 Gen 1 and Lord only knows what else they're going to come up with. However, the USB Promoters Group, the, the one that actually wants to promote this, brought us USB 4. And not only is it just USB 4, it's the continuation of the insanity, which is 2019, which is seeing Microsoft like abandon their browser in preference of Chrome. And now we've seen Intel make good on their promise to put Thunderbolt out, not necessarily open source, but to release it to any manufacturer that is willing to license it and build it. So USB 4 is going to be built on Thunderbolt 3, which pretty much just explains it all to everyone right there. You, you now have a full understanding. You're going to have uh, Type-C cables with 40 gigabits of operation uh, two, two with two lanes, uh, 20 with one, and there will be a certification, and there won't be umpteen billion things you've got to keep track of. It's just going to work, and it's going to make sense to people. It's going to be backwards compatible, so you can grab an adapter. It'll go back uh, to the original Thunderbolt, back to USB 2. It will happily take over a display port, which is something that's, you know, been been implemented by some people, but not many uh, using Thunderbolt to do multiple displays over a display port. It's just really, really nice to see, considering what we saw last week, which was just sheer and complete insanity. So I'm, I'm... Really, as much as I'm stoked about this particular thing, honestly, the the core of it is that Intel made good on their promise to say, you know what, we're going to release the USB, or sorry, the Thunderbolt protocol out, and you're now going to be able to implement it on your chips, on your cards, on your whatever. You don't have to come to us to get it. 
it's it's so much nicer than it was last week, about you know six days ago. But it's important too to note that this doesn't because this, this this isn't USB Gen four. USB four is a separate specification. USB all that nonsense still remains from last week. USB Gen yes. three is still a separate thing with all that craziness. So it's it it is nicer that this is that this particular thing is clearer. But it, this isn't rectifying or simplifying that that's the existing state of of uncertainty which brings in the schizophrenia sort of aspect of it because these are the same bloody people yeah. promoting the same uh sorry what does that you stand for is it universal Ubiquitous. <laughs> yes or, or hey that works too it, it, the, the point is that all of a sudden we've got the same group the, the same core group promoting usb4 which absolutely make totally makes sense and the other one's promoting USB 3.28765932.8072 Gen 2 Type C X2. They can't both continue in the same uh, area. Like, we can't have these both in the market simultaneously. It's, it'll be insane. We can and we will. Yeah, well, I don't want it. Well, it seems like Intel kind of painted themselves in corner with Thunderbolt, and this is true. Really, their first good decision with it. I mean, Apple has has embraced Thunder, Thunderbolt, uh, but everyone outside of that, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's a niche uh, type of connectivity. I mean, Dell's got a, a dock that's Thunderbolt based, and you only can use that with a handful of their latest laptops that support it and uh you know finally maybe throwing it out here like that uh it's gonna get some traction and be useful because it's a really good technology and remember back when we were young and naive uh, and this protocol was first announced uh, and they were talking about uh asynchronous signals so that they they could double or triple or quadruple the bandwidth because the, the signal wasn't interfering with each other because they were going to be on different phases. I, I'm, I'm struggling. It wasn't Thunderbolt. It was Lightning Cable. What was the original one? Light Peak. Well, Light, Light Peak, Peak was the thank you was the code word, right? That was the optical. Yeah, yeah. But that was what this was supposed to be back seven, eight years ago when it first came out. And you know, Apple. Well, I don't want to speak ill of them because they might take away our titles but uh, you know they kind of did sort of jump on it and they did it effectively I won't, I won't say that they didn't do it effectively but they did kind of ruin it for the pc side where we were talking about optical connectors and, and different phases of light and just stupid amounts of transfer i have to wonder if usb 4.0 was literally being held up waiting for intel to release thunderbolt 3 and obviously the USB-IF knew this when they were releasing their statements about the rebranding. This was probably just a precursor to, hey, 4 is coming, let's rebrand all the 3.x stuff. But that's a disaster. At least USB 4.0 itself makes sense because that was all along that should have been a Type-C connector in the fastest available bandwidth that the technology could permit. So that means 40 gigabit per second Thunderbolt or USB Type-C, and 
that's exactly what it is. They're not even modifying it at all, are they? This is straight up Thunderbolt 3 being rebranded as USB 4.0, right? Well, I don't think it's re it's not I don't think it's rebranded. It's it's just that USB 4.0 or not it's not again, USB 4.0 is the wrong word. It's USB 4 because it's that that's the specification. USB 4 is not a point oh or a gen or anything. And it's it's incorporating Thun- Thunderbolt 3 within it, but they're still separate. You will you'll you will have Thunderbolt 3 devices that are not USB 4. But but I think all USB 4 devices will, will have be... Thunderbolt 3 within them. Okay. So yeah. just just look for USB 4 uh at a laptop near you. Hopefully by Computex we we'll maybe see the first devices with USB 4. Maybe not though. It takes a while to implement and they may already have those devices. Certainly by next CES it'll be USB 4 everything. CES 2020. I can't wait. Oh god, did I post more things this year was that? You you posted about some interesting slides that AMD didn't leak out. They just they released them in an, in an investor meeting, right? And I know that yes. Tech Report reported on this. A bunch of outlets did. Tell me about any new information we may have from this. Well, Zach and I think similarly because uh, my th- first thought was Threadripper the third, but I honestly think Third Ripper works just as well. <laughs> so we know for a fact that we're going to see. Uh, we've already seen the, the Ryzen mobiles, but Ryzen Pro Mobile is going to hit before, uh, well, just after we change the clocks, more or less. Uh, so hopefully a couple of uh, companies will pick this up so that I can maybe get one at work because, you know, that graphics are going to be a lot better than the current uh, ones that I'm getting off of Intel. Uh, not to say anything, but uh, yeah, so we know that they'll be out in the very, very near future. What more people are more excited about is about the middle of the year, we're going to see the third generation of Ryzen. Ryzen 3000, which uh, you can find a link to Tim's coverage. We already have just about every single of the initial launch processors leaked with core counts and frequency. But now we're going to get it. And the lovely thing about it is, for everyone, AMD has stuck their timing they'd announced a while ago that they were going to do this in the summer before third quarter and they're planning on it so you're going to be able to pick up your ryzen 3000 you know about the time that it gets really really hot outside and you don't want to go outside and out of the side of the air conditioning also for people like myself you're going to see the third generation of threadripper hit they haven't put a date on it yet but they've put the 2019 limitation on it. So before the end of the year, chances are you're going to see Threadripper with even higher core counts, even higher uh, frequency, and maybe, just maybe, leading into the second part of it, a new design for uh, Infinity Fabric. One of the other things they talked about was coming very soon, Zen 2-based Epic processors for every chiplet fan out there and this is exciting to people that work in the in the business because it's cheap they're they're literally talking about uh doubling overall performance uh per socket or quadrupling floating point performance in certain applications and it's a drop-in upgrade Uh, as amd has been very very good at for the last several generations 
you don't have to buy a new chipset. You don't have to buy a new motherboard. You don't have to redesign anything. You flash your BIOS to update it. You drop your chip in and away you go. For graphics fans, there wasn't such great detail out of this. Uh, I did link to the entire PowerPoint presentation in the post so you can look at it. So sometime between now and 2020, the, the 7 nanometer Navi will be out. Uh, assume sooner rather than later. But they didn't slap much in the way of information on it other than the leaks we've already seen. And, you know, I wish we could give you better information. But uh, we do know it's coming. It's coming very soon. Now, from this graphics architecture roadmap slide, can we infer anything? Like, look at the the line above Vega 7 nanometer. See how it's a little bit, it's highlighted, it's brighter there. Can we just, can we infer that from the, the first white line before Vega 7 nanometer, that could be the start of 2019? And then Vega 7 nanometer and then the line, does that, is that like up to today's date? Can we just, can we come up with some sort of a scale and decide the exact release date of Navi based on, based on this uh, graphic or no? Is that a stretch? No. April 1st. Because no. <laughs> the rumor is E3. Like E3, they're going to they're gonna surprise yes. everybody with possibly multiple Navi SKUs and say, you know, here's our new gaming platform. And look, we've got third gen Ryzen. And here's our new Ryzen platform boards. And oh, by the way, Navi, it's here. And it's going to compete with NVIDIA at whatever price points. And here are the cards which would be obviously very exciting and make an amazing presentation, but I don't know. I haven't heard. I'm just worried about graphics, graphics, next, next gen, gen, core, core. Because if you you go back to it, they've, they've decided to go with GCN again, but now it must be GCN squared for next gen. Hmm. Sorry, Josh, you probably had something more interesting to say. I don't know. Um, You know, I I just don't see this until uh, being shipped until at least, end of summer because uh, we just don't haven't heard anything about production i mean we knew about uh, vega seven nanometer back in summer of 2018 um and then that you know first came out as as the professional cards and then the, the machine learning and 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 uh all those areas but uh yeah we haven't heard jack all about actual navi navi production so i they may announce something they may show a basic working card, but I don't, I just, I'm afraid it's, it's going to be fall before we, we see that next generation GPU. So moving on, Josh, is there, I'm trying to figure out where the voices are coming from. Is that just me hearing this? No, that's, that's my wife and, and kids behind me. Oh, okay. Well, invite them in. Let's, 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 uh, let's hear from the Walworth family. Shall, shall we not? Oh, okay. <laughs> Josh okay. is like, please, no, this is my... This is my you're, you're interrupting on... Yeah. This is Josh's alone time. So we in the voices I don't Wait, we don't want that kind of alone time, Jeremy. Josh, this keep is, the lights on. Weird, please keep weird... your hands above the desk. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got to unplug the webcam. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right. So back to the news. Uh, NVIDIA, and this has become commonplace, obviously, driver updates... You know, 
driver updates come out, they support new games, optimizations for old games, and that's exactly what we got with 419.35 WHQL or Wickle driver. And in addition to supporting, uh, what was the new game, Apex Legends and some optimizations for other games, there is a new bundle, the Triple Threat bundle, where they've added Metro Exodus. So now they have Battlefield 5, Anthem, and Metro Exodus as their gaming bundle. When you buy a 2060 or 2070, you get to choose one. But if you buy a 2080 or 2080 Ti or thus equipped laptop, you get all three. So AMD, I think, still has the uh, advantage with the game bundle, honestly, because they've they've had, I think, since at least the launch of the Radeon 7, because they were letting us know before that came out, hey, by the way, the Raise the Game Fully Loaded bundle has three games, there's $180 value, so that's the same value that this NVIDIA offer now has, so they've at least matched that. But with AMDs, you get the three games with a Radeon 7 or a Vega card or an RX 570, 580, or 590 card. So you could buy a 580 for like 200 bucks, and then get three games and you could kind of say that you've subsidized the cost of the card down to about $20, $30. So still a more compelling value argument on AMD's side. Though if you are considering a NVIDIA card, you know, and you want to spend five hundred dollars on a twenty seventy, this might convince you to get a twenty eighty if you don't already have any of these games, which seems doubtful, but anyway. Is this you know at all nice compelling about- to anybody? The nice thing about Battlefield Five, um, I ordered uh, this tax software, and it was ten dollars off, and it came with a free copy of Battlefield Five. I saw that. So you spent negative dollars on that. Pretty much, yeah. I uh, can you. You think EA is trying to to get I, rid of copies and I, get people playing? I, I think you got your money's worth at negative pennies. My son's happy. Is, is that Not copy good. of Battlefield Five tax deductible on next year's tax return? Because it was part of the H and R block purchase. Could you say that the value of Battlefield Five can offset your 2019 income tax? No. It's on the same receipt. might negatively impact it. I don't know. How okay, many loot yeah, boxes don't... would you have to buy for it to even out? I don't have an answer for that. Are anyway, microtransactions it's a nice bundle. tax deductible? I just want to jump in here and <laughs> say that at no again. point should any information about any topic be taken seriously on this show. We are not offering financial advice, tax advice, legal advice, life advice. Just don't. We can just offer turn- life advice. Why can't we no. offer life advice? No, not even that advice. No, just turn it off. Not even Jim's right. advice right there. Don't go, go back to the YouTube homepage. Yeah, don't, don't, don't listen to Jim. Don't Jim. All right. Uh, hey, did anybody check out Hard OCP's look at undervolting the Radeon 7? I think this was published at the like a week, week and a half ago. I know Jeremy just put up news on our site back on the 6th, which I guess that, that was yesterday. But this was an interesting read. I read this when it was first posted and kind of doesn't doesn't work quite the way you might think, or at least I would think knowing nothing going into this about undervolting and the sort of the results you actually get, Jeremy. Well, see, 
the thing is that one of the major throttles when you're overclocking something is the chip hits a temperature limit. And when the chip hits a temperature limit, it slows itself down to, you know, prevent itself from making pretty pictures inside of your case, both the fire type and the smoke stains left afterwards. So in some cases, uh, and this is by far not the only chip that this is actually a thing for, by undervolting what the manufacturer set it at, you're actually providing a little less power, which means a little less heat, which means that it can actually sustain slightly higher clocks or, in some cases, significantly higher clocks before it hits that thermal envelope. Many and I'm trying to say this in a very nice way because the, the, one of the reasons that people have been bitching and screaming about Radeon 7 undervolting is that it might have been put out at a slightly higher voltage than it should have for certain reasons. But again, it, it's not the only chip that's been like this. So by feeding it a slightly little bit less power, all of a sudden you're starting to see that you might not hit the, the peak that you were expecting, but it stays there. So as you can see there on the default, the clock is actually hitting a higher frames per second for a very brief period of time. But other than that, it actually has to back down a bit so that it has to keep within its thermal envelope by undervolting it. And so there, there's some other games that uh, provide a little bit more than this, but even this one, you can see four frames a second and significantly better response rates. And at the same time, you can also see that the temperature, it gets a little bit higher, but because the, the combination of the amount of volts going into it, uh, which it normally would immediately start to drop, but you've already dropped it, allows it to maintain. Now, Radeon Chill is a different thing. Both of these are perfectly accessible straight through uh, your latest radio and graphics driver, your, your adrenaline. And chill is better. It, it It's overall trying to reduce the amount of power that the card is drawing. Not by putting a hard cap on the amount, but just overall reducing the amount of power that draws. So Wolfenstein is a perfect example here. By reducing it and trying to keep the card chill and keeping the fans down and the noise down, you see a hard, hard drop in performance. Although, to be honest, an average rate of 85 frames a second, you're not going to notice unless you're on a fancy monitor. But you can see the default in the undervolting is, is fighting it out tooth and nail, and by giving the card less power, you're seeing at least as good performance at default, if not better. It's something to play around with. Like, overclocking becomes... Uh, and Josh has talked about this uh, in the way that he hates uh, doing memory revo reviews. When you start overclocking, there are so many variables that you have to play with. And one of them that not a lot of people think of is, well, what if I feed it a little bit less power? What starts to happen? And in this case, it really looks like the Radeon 7. It's worth playing around with. And, you know, if you've got a nice stable overclock that you like, try, try just dropping the voltage down a little bit and see what happens. You, more than likely, you're going to be pleased with the results. So when are you going to start doing that, Sebastian? On every I card. Know. I know. That you've and, ever reviewed. And then there's from... that, 
There's that new uh, Radeon 7 water block that came out, I think, last week. That looks really nice. That just opens up another world of possibilities with this because you can put this thing fully underwater. No, no don't underwater that. Voltage. Don't underwater. Make sure that you keep the water up. You know what I mean. The full block. Come on, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this... The thing that I found the most interesting was that just by undervolting to whatever you can, like, I think he ended up at, was it 1.1 volts? It wasn't, like, or maybe 1 volt. Played played around with, like, 9.9, something like that. You get such higher minimum uh, speeds on the core. Like, the, the standard, whatever it's using for its algorithm for how it's measuring core versus the thermal threshold or voltage limitations of the card, it drops down in some games. It was dropping down to like 80, 85 megahertz and then coming back up again and dropping down and coming back up. And with the undervolt, it was way, way up. I think the lowest I saw was like 700, 700, sometimes like 1600, 1400. So you're never really losing your, your primary boost clock speed. It's at the expense of of higher thermals because the power draw and the thermals were higher when undervolted, which was kind of odd. Not across the board, but in most cases because it was just seeing this additional headroom and using it and drawing additional power. Well, to make it, it work. It's trying to cut the power a bit, but the power's already been cut. Yeah. So it, it gets to get a little bit warmer. It makes you wonder like how much more optimization could have been done to this card maybe ship it at a lower voltage so we could actually hit a higher clock speed instead of shipping it out as is with a peak clock of 1800, but an actual boost clock. I think that was somewhere around 16, maybe it was 1650, 1750, somewhere in there. But it, it could have been more aggressively clocked, but the nice thing is it's built into the software. Anybody who downloads the driver, has this it's kind of buried though this is not the most obvious feature you have to know where to look there's a tab you have to go into and then it's within the secondary set of options but you can do a lot of tweaking with the actual curves and the voltage and it's it's just very interesting and i would absolutely trade some additional fan noise and a little bit higher power draw for smoother gameplay because if nothing else, not having those dips in the speed is going to result in uh, fewer of those like higher 99th percentile frame times. So fewer of the kind of stuttering, which, you know, plagues games when you're when you're dealing with that thermal limit. Not nearly as bad as it would if you were hitting a VR uh, VRAM limit. But of course, you're not going to do that with a Radeon 7. Josh, did you have any thoughts about this? Have you ever played around with the... Radeon chill or undervolting on any of your AMD cards in the past? I really have not, but I mean, it did make sense. I mean, they, 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 they kind of, I mean, you're winning the Silicon laundry. If, if you're able to undervolt successfully, because AMD is trying to make a card that under most circumstances is going to perform in a certain way. And they're going to get the most number of chips out that are going to work by applying this much voltage to it. And so it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a statistician's dream or nightmare, whatever you want to consider um, about where these cards should be set, where do they get the most money out? Where do they get the most, you know, uh, the best uh, 
results in terms of yields and dies, um, uh, yields and, and bins rather. And so, yeah, if you've got a really good chip and you undervolt it, then you're not adding more heat and transistor switching performance potentially could improve and especially if you've got good cooling. So it's uh, you know, it's a neat trick. It's, it's a good toolbox that AMBD provides for those who really wish to tweak uh, the stuff like this. So it's, you know, if you got a, you're bored some Saturday afternoon, you got a couple hours to burn and you think, you know, let's, let's optimize this puppy. You've, you've got the ability to do that and, and potentially have some, some nice gains, especially at that, you know, the, 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 the minimum levels of, of frame rates to, you know, give you a better experience. You may not have much higher average, but if you're lifting up that bottom 95th to 99th percentile, um, it has, you know, concrete returns in, in what you experience when you're playing a game. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it takes time, like you said, and that's something that I don't really have a lot of. So I have not played with that yet, but I should, especially when we get some new AMD cards out. That's another one of those interesting aspects. Like instead of like with NVIDIA where you're, it's pretty easy to just raise a power limit and increase the fan profile and have the GPU boost kind of figure things out on its own. And we've seen really good gains there. There's not as much headroom with straight overclocking with Radeon 7. So I think that's where the undervolting argument becomes very interesting, where you can sort of game the system a little bit by lowering that voltage and having the card try to compensate by increasing the the uh, core clocks. But let's move on to probably the longest title for a news post we've had this year so far. Microsoft rolling out RET pulling optimizations update to reduce performance impact of Spectre 2 mitigations. How exciting. This sounds like Enterprise stuff, Jeremy. You know it's Enterprise because he's on PowerShell. I know. Yep. Well, isn't PowerShell the uh, default uh, command line now? Not if you change it back, Jim, damn it. Well, that, yeah, that's yeah. why I used the word default. Uh, but. <laughs> but it's got colors. Yeah, it's prettier. But, oh, you, you can Is, you call this pretty? Line. Look at this screenshot. Hey, hey, don't black don't you... and white, black and red text on a blue background with. Uh, don't you try to impose your beauty standards on what? me? That's true. I Unless you're talking, you know, Sorry. green text on black. In which case, all right, I can understand back I'm I'm okay with that. yeah i can get back to that yeah but anyway specter jeremy oh scary kids scary but it is uh so rep line is uh and honestly i still have not had the time to look into this because this is something that y- you do have to sort of look at but Microsoft has put out uh, a new update, and thankfully it's back to the point where there's a knowledge base article attached to it, which will bloody well tell you what it does. In this case, it's changing the way uh, the, the, the speculative execution that was the core of Meltdown and Spectre and Rowhammer and the one we're going to bring up in a bit that is just all so much fun. So this is changing the way... Uh, that how the memory manager handles things. Uh, it's, it's called the dynamic value reallocation table. 
say that five times fast. The idea is that it's putting a little bit of a separation between it, but not, not having the same performance impact that we've had on the, the ways that they've sort of worked around it previously. They're saying about 25% faster than what it is now if you've got a Spectre mitigation put onto your machine, which is good. It, it, that is going to add up to a huge amount if you've got a server farm going and you're serving hundreds, thousands of customers. 25% is nothing to sneer at. It's a huge amount. It's new. It hasn't really been tested. I mean, Tim put this up, what, uh, Tuesday? Yeah, the 4th. So we haven't really seen a lot of testing being done with it, but it should, in theory, put them on par back with what the Winex performance is right now, where the, the mitigations were much easier to implement and didn't have such a huge impact. So we, we're going to see over the next you know, a couple of weeks, month, how effective it is, what side effects it might or might not have, and just how well it protects you. But for now, I mean, honestly, it's really good news to have something that helps protect you that isn't going to have such a huge impact on your end user. Have you been playing with this at all, Josh? No. And I know that I'm very helpful with this discussion by saying that, but... (laughs) You know, it's uh, you know, you're the same. You haven't had the time to look, right? Yeah, but you know, it's it's we run enterprise stuff, and you know, it's it's Spectre is one of the one of the things we probably worry least about. Maybe I'm stupid, but when you've got users that because of GIS programs and uh, other software from like Esri that simply won't work if you do not give them local admin. There are far scarier things out there. Absolutely. I I am re-imaging on a slow week, maybe a half dozen machines because someone clicked on that link. Yeah. And they don't even have local admin. That's escalated privilege from a vulnerability, let alone, yeah, local admin is just a sheer nightmare. Well, this segues neatly into another post about something called Spoiler, which I had not heard about until reading this. And, of course, after this post went up, uh, Intel reached out, and uh, we have appended the post with their statement, which, uh, do you, what do you know about Spoiler, Jeremy? I know I'm leaning heavily on you for these news posts. All right, well, it was the, the, the perfect, bookend to Tim's post where it's like, oh, hey, look, we, we've actually got a good mitigation. It's you so much, but oh, you just don't look over there because there's a whole new one that we didn't even know about. And it's based off Rowhammer, which really, really friggin' sucks because direct memory reading can turn into some impressively horrible things. Uh, especially if, like, say there's been some new attacks lately that depend on the, the the PowerShell that everyone's making fun of the picture of. And essentially, it's not even installing anything on your machine. It's it's just running a freaking PowerShell script in your memory. And the only time it actually writes to the drive is when it's shutting down. 
And when you boot up, the first thing it does is load itself into memory and erase itself from your drive. This is just freaking magic, and it makes everyone so, so happy. But spoiler uh, matches similar to what the Rowhammer did, uh, which we've we've talked about before. And so any of the mitigations for Meltdown Inspector, nothing. Absolutely nothing. The original report suggested that there was no way you could fix this. You could not do a software implementation. You couldn't do a firmware implementation. It, it's a flaw of the architecture itself. And this is coming from uh, researchers at uh, Worcester Polytechnic, Massachusetts, and uh, Lubeck. Intel reached out and said that they expect that just like with the Rohammer style attacks, there are ways they can produce uh, some software updates that will, and by software, we're talking more BIOS updates and, you know, basic, like you're not looking at errata and weird flashing and just basic updates that should help protect you. This was also, and uh, are they still around? Uh, it, it also seemed like a knee-jerk reaction uh, that, yes, totally don't worry about it. We can fix it. But at the same time, you know, there is no reason because they have found some mitigations against Rowhammer. So since this is similar, I've got no reason to doubt that they can't come up with some sort of a solution. I just don't know a timeline. I, this These are getting down to basic architectural choices that were made by Intel, AMD, and ARM several generations ago to increase performance by speculation. This particular one is only for Intel chips. Uh, so any Intel chips that do the speculative branch prediction are going to be a problem. ARM and AMD, because they went a different way, this particular one isn't going to get them. That doesn't mean that there isn't one out there that we'll fear about tomorrow. But for now, they're they're a good choice. So, you know, hey, go buy an Epic processor. You, you can actually get one, and it's protected from this. And, you know, when Intel catches up, it you, you can go back to them if you really, really want to. It's just the, the, the amount of... As, as Josh said, you know, that, that is a pure problem is uh, PebCAC problem exists between keyboard and chair, but these ones and, you know, some of the, the, the basic stuff from the servers that they still haven't addressed for a year and a half from now, or it was announced last Christmas, not the one just passed, but the one previous to this, Th those are still huge vulnerabilities. Uh, we're not patching to the way we should be in some cases because of the performance impact in some cases, because, well, you know, I get lazy sometimes and they just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. It's a scary world out there. Kids. Uh, don't have thought that highly it. complex, highly complex designs would have flaws in them. You know, the original x86, uh, you know, CISC uh, architecture was was really nicely laid out. It was pretty simple. It, it worked, and then they just kept cobbling onto it, and it now works by PFM, pure freaking magic. And, yeah, I mean, they put so many uh, little uh, performance-enhancing things, and 
it just it just the the level of complexity and the chance for something like this slipping in is just i mean it it just rises exponentially but yeah anyway uh, before we jump yeah. to that, uh, just because the chat, uh, some folks are pointing out, and uh, I, I've heard of, I've seen this uh, reports. I haven't experienced it myself, although I haven't been doing a lot of gaming personally. But I, just not related to vulnerabilities, but more just Windows updates in general. People are reporting that a cumulative update for Windows 10 1809, it's KB four four eight two eight two eight eight seven, has caused some issues with a lot of games. They say it's uh, it's graphics performance, uh, frame rate drops mouse stuttering input lag uh so uh I, I do recall seeing a reddit thread on that and uh the chat reminded me so uh be on the lookout for that if you haven't installed that update maybe that's one to use one of the newly introduced uh delay features and see if you can uh, avoid installing that until they've figured out what's what's up with that so uh thanks to the chat for pointing that out interesting uh, yeah, Windows 10 updates out went there poorly. yeah who who would have thought it looks like early this morning, Tom's Hardware had a story about that called Windows 10 Update Causing Severe In-Game Performance Issues. And there's more information there. And how to uninstall the update, which is, you know, we should all be used to that by now. If you use Windows 10 for any period of time, you probably know how to uninstall unwanted updates. I was doing that back in Windows 8.1 because of all the Windows 10 ads that were being installed on my system. But that's another story. And by the way, another uh, item that was not on our list, speaking of Windows 8 and Windows 10, uh, cue the sad music because Skylake has been retired. It's no more. It's been a long road. Of six you'll never take Intel 007 products. away. No, and I you'll, you'll take Windows 8.1 away from me from <laughs> words that I can't properly express about my cold dead hands and things like that. But that's the annoying thing about seventh gen because Intel had windows 8.1 drivers for seventh gen, like cabbie or KB, however it's pronounced Lake processors for the integrated graphics and full OS support. And then it was announced that, Oh, seventh gen only supports windows 10. And I wonder who may have gotten involved there. And then those drivers never left the beta stage and were pulled from the website. So officially, Skylake was the last platform to support anything other than Windows 10. And now you're just all expected to, like Lemmings, install Windows 10 on your computers and just pretend that freedom of choice when it comes to operating system updates is a thing of the past. And I digress. So let's talk about some good news for a change like GPU price correction. Now, Josh, do you think there's anything to this idea that the graphics card vendors are under some sort of inventory pressure as we look at this beautifully stocked case full of graphics cards? Yeah, which, uh, you know, a year and a half ago would have been absolutely bare. Gosh, I yeah. I wonder. I mean, it's just uh, the, the, the big problem with uh, any kind of, of graphics is that the lead time to adjust to changes in market pressures is so stinking long. We're talking 24 weeks now. Well, 20, yeah, probably 20 to 24 weeks for a modern GPU to go through the entire production round. I mean, it's just, it's a huge amount of time. And you've got to plan for that. And you've got to work with TSMC and Global Foundries and Samsung. And you've got to, you know, 
plot out all this stuff and you got to figure out how many wafers you got to order. And then you got to wake, you got to wake, you have to wait three, four, five months, depending on uh, the products. And, and then the, the amount of, uh, um, wafers that are available to you. It's just, it's just ludicrous. And so, yeah, uh, I think that they thought that the crypto market would last longer than it actually has. And, uh, you know, they, they ordered a whole lot more chips than really the market can sustain. And then add on top of that, uh, the, the relative kind of unpopularity, not unpopularity, but, but the less than positive results for the RTX series, uh, AMD not having anything new except uh, the the Radeon Seven, which is seven nanometer, and those are still extremely rare. Um, you know, it just all comes together to have they've got a ton of inventory. And yes, this price reduction is is really 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 needed because there's still a lot of old cards out there. I mean, GTX nine seventy was a is a good product, um, and a lot of people have it, and they probably still run it. I know a friend of mine just finally upgraded to an RTX. You know, the price has kind of dropped a little bit, but you know, he had a he had a GTX 970, and I think everybody knows somebody that had it. I mean, it was a good card, and even though the whole memory thing with the last 512 megs of of memory was was siphoned through a straw, um, you know, it was it was still popular, and then people still use GTX 700 series. I've got a GTX 780 in the wife's machine that a friend comes over and plays games on every once in a while. It just, there's so many good cards for a lot of modern games that it doesn't always make sense to upgrade. And now maybe we're finally getting into a point where prices are coming down enough. We've got enough next generation games that, that, that are either just being released or will be out soon that people are finally starting to get the, the bug and then and we'll see that you know we'll see those these volumes of of unsold products you know shrink but you know if if we get some other kind of strange little boom uh it's going to take them a while to you know kind of ramp up production again to to meet it but for right now i think they're just kind of holding on to their horses i'm looking for all of these amazing deals at least i'm not seeing them on newegg because on the nvidia oh, side for a while say 10 series is pretty much disappearing i mean there's still a lot yeah. of 1060s a lot of 1060s but 1070 i these prices are ridiculous like starting at 400 dollars or so the the 329 1070 i'd been seeing off and on is apparently currently sold out again so they're back up to being way way too much especially considering the gtx 1660 ti is giving you greater than 1070 performance for 279 and yeah, they're they're still asking. I'm looking at the AMD side, like a the RX 590s are at least a little bit cheaper at 249. Those had been, I think, selling for more like 259, 269. The the XFX one that I have that we reviewed is still at 280. That's more expensive, but I mean, th- these are not like crazy good prices at all. There's some rebate deals and things out there, but. I would like to see that translate into some of these, like, you know, the Vegas 56 selling for 279 occasionally, or I had seen word of 1060 selling for around $160, but that's clearly not on Newegg. And then half the cards I look at on Amazon are, are at a slight premium over the list price. So, 
I think this is more long term and people sort of sitting there like by people, I mean, the the, the board manufacturers that are turning around and giving to MSI, EVGA, uh, Pallet, whoever. We've got this huge amount of stock. Uh, We can try and convince the tax guy it's a loss and maybe get some off that. We can try and talk to NVIDIA and get some promotional pricing to try and get rid of it. But what I'm saying is, you know, next generation... Uh, you're going to have to make sure that these sell because right now I'm stuck with a warehouse full of stuff no one wants. So I think it'll be slow if it happens. But but you know what people do does. want? You know what people do want? They want fast storage. And this is not a new story. I think uh, Samsung announcing mass production of the EUFS 3.0 as uh, I think that might have been a week or two ago that first broke, but Looking at the chart here is fascinating because just performance relative to previous generations of it and also with the control being this My Digital SSD SBX M.2 NVMe drive and looking at what eMMC 5.1 can offer, which is admittedly not very much, uh, it's pretty interesting to see legitimate performance from this, which can be an embedded storage format that we can find in phones and other small devices. Let's see here. Sequential reads 2,100 megabytes per second, writes of 410 megabytes per second, which obviously are not astonishing, but very impressive IOPS, 63,000 random read IOPS, 68,000 random writes. And if you look at what eMMC can do, you're talking sustained, you know, 250 megabytes per second on reads, only 125 on writes, and IOPS of like, 11 to 13,000. So anemic numbers, of course, still, this is nowhere near what a fast M.2 like NVMe drive can do, but for embedded storage solutions, like onboard storage in a smartphone or a tablet is going to be a welcome change to see near desktop like performance, obviously well above SATA performance, not necessarily from IOPS. We saw higher IOPS, I think at the end of the SATA generation, but 2.1 2.1 gigabytes per second reads are nothing to sneeze at. That's have you seen bad. any? Yeah, have you seen any news of anything actually implementing this yet, or this is just them kind of announcing the technology? I guess. I think it was just the announcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be it'll well, be some eight months before we see it, but you know you, you got to figure that the next generation uh, coming out what next spring of next year, uh, featuring new ARM processors and enhanced seven nanometer stuff that they may have this uh, on there. And and boy, that's going to be smoking fast memory for a cell phone. I remember when I got my Nexus six and I did not understand at first why it felt so sluggish to me, even though it had at the time like current gen hardware and was on paper significantly faster than what I had been using. I'd come from a Nexus five and it was, the first Android phone, I believe, that shipped with always-on full-disk encryption, like full-device encryption, and it just made the thing crawl. It had also very slow storage. I remember running storage benchmarks on it, and it was anemic. That's one of those things where I don't think people realize, yes, smartphone SOCs get faster and faster every year. Yes, they've moved through the different memory standards, and there's additional memory bandwidth available. They're always managing, uh, you know, the thermals and 
the available power and trying to optimize for battery life and so on and so on as far as performance goes. But storage performance on smartphones is pretty bad, is really bad. And I don't know if it's any better on the Apple side. There are really not the same benchmarks available on the Apple side, I don't think. I don't remember. I think a non-tech like had their own like custom code written to do benchmarking on Apple's file system for the iPhone. But it's one of those things where once we have fast storage to go along with these fast processors to actually take advantage of it, I think you're going to see huge gains in just everyday responsiveness and usability of smartphones that, I mean, right now it's the equivalent of using like an older generation spinning hard drive as far as the actual throughput of some of this on like embedded storage. So I look at stuff like this and think, finally, we're going to have smartphones that actually perform like a 2.5 gigahertz, like high end eight core system should perform, especially considering they're only running at like, you know, 1440p resolution. Yeah, until you fold it wrong and you break it. <laughs> and then, yeah, what is the resolution of that now. Samsung? Does anybody know the... Have they posted the full specs of the Galaxy Fold? Because on day one, they had nothing. It was like a picture and some like advertising jargon, but they weren't actually giving like full display resolution for the phone like when unfolded. I know Huawei announced their resolutions, which were surprisingly low, considering how big the display was. But... I'll have to look here, see if Galaxy Fold has any specs. Because that's, there's just, that's a nightmare to me. A device like that, that I'm paranoid, but I've also dropped my phone many, many, many times since I've had my first smartphone. And I've kept my phone in a case most of the time. I briefly flirted with the case-free lifestyle with my iPhone 6. And I, I think it was like the first week I had it, I dropped it in a Mexican restaurant, it went, landed face down, of course, and it skidded across the floor, ended up under the bench. And when I moved it to get the phone, the phone slid on its face across the tile floor under the weight of the of the chair. So needless to say, it was permanently defaced. And it was just one incident just slipped out of my hand and it was toast. If I had a $2,000 phone, that I could not even fit a case on and who knows what the what what would a screen protector situation on one of these folding phones look like either. Well, I mean, we also I mean, need to not pretend here. This phone is not going to ship in volume. There's not nobody's going to nobody's going to buy it. Yes, it's going to be out there. Some people will buy it. They'll have all the YouTube influencers showing off their videos or something. But this is not this is this is a chicken and the egg thing. This is the technology has been teased for years. Let's get a product on the market. This this is not a problem, I think, that is practical or going to be something that we have to deal with. The people buying okay. this don't care. that they, They'll just buy another one if they ruin it. Oh, right. Or the, if they're even buying it. I'm sure that if they're at a high enough level, Samsung will just send them the unit to, to advertise as this sort of aspirational device. Oh yeah, I mean, for, in terms of how most people will, will see this uh, see this phone, it'll be through select seated marketing or, or, or review influencer units, however you want to call it. But Does that include you, Jim? Is that what you're trying to say? No, Samsung... Only the most... They don't return my calls. <laughs> Only the no. most powerful. All right. Well, I'm looking at the specs of the, uh, the Galaxy S10 Plus, their new kind of like mainstream flagship phone. 
very impressive specifications and the screen den- like the actual pixel density is is massive on this thing the actual screen resolution is 1440 by 3040s so 199 ratio still with that 1440 width and that's a 522 ppi density approximately and if you look at the fold for that entire folded out 7.3 inch display only a four, 414 ppi and it's 1536 by 2152. So considerably lower. It was the same story with a Huawei phone. They're not putting out these five, 600 PPI, incredibly dense AMOLED displays with these folding phones. You're actually getting kind of like 2014 screen resolutions blown up on a huge seven or eight inch screen. So the obviously, if you want to follow Apple's argument, I think it's 328. It's what they call retina, like the pixels per inch before you can no longer see it from a normal viewing distance. But they were also selling people on retina back when their phone had a four inch screen. Actually, no, the iPhone 4 still had a three and a half inch screen, didn't it? Yeah. So you pretty much couldn't see anything, let alone pixels on that phone. But uh, finally, last but not least, of course, Microsoft. And this this is not, if you're watching the video stream, I don't believe this is a picture of Ryan Shrout, but you never know where that guy might pop up. Uh, somebody is wearing a HoloLens in this picture. And uh, that's another device that, as Jim mentioned, something about uh, things that will never ship in volume and will be kind of in the hands of the influencers. This is a $3,500 proposition for their revised AR device. Has anyone on this podcast ever experimented with a HoloLens at all? No. No. Not any AR I've experimentation at all? I had well, difficulties convincing my bosses to uh, spend the twenty-five to 3500 bucks to let me experience it. And Actually, everyone, you know what? I have had... Go ahead. Oh, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, everyone experiences AR because it's on your phone now. Or do you mean head-mounted AR? I guess I meant head-mounted AR, okay. but yeah. Well, I mean, just, I've, you just I've duct, experienced... tape, duct tape the phone to your face. Well, Google will sell you an attractive uh, cloth-like device cardboard that lets box. you shove your phone in front of your face. Yeah, or the cardboard one. I was thinking of Google Glass, I think is what it's called. Can't remember. There's one that's like sort yeah. of this gray cloth, and you put your phone in it. has like magnifying lenses for your eyes. No, the, the one AR experience I've had, actually, that I can remember is with my Nintendo 3DS, I got, uh, what was it called? Bravely Default, and it came with an AR card. And you basically, the character from the game would like emerge from your table or whatever you were looking at through the camera on the 3DS, which is a miserable camera, but you could see your character walk around and interact on your table. It didn't do anything. It didn't accomplish anything in the game, but it, you know, it was reasonably convincing, I guess. There's a lot more practical uses of AR. I know that they were talking about adding AR to Google Maps, like if you're actually walking in a city and for some reason are getting really good GPS reception, that's very accurate. Unlike if you're ever in a big city with tall buildings, such as Chicago, where it will tell you randomly that you're on one street and then it tells you that you're on the other street. But the idea of superimposing, like turn here, as you're walking would be nice. I know when I was walking in Las Vegas a couple of nights, I was constantly looking down at my phone, like, when do I turn? Oh, it's this street. Okay. And I was looking up, looking down. So 
That'd be nice well, and then you realize one of the snappers had taken over your phone and was directing you somewhere. You wanted to go, but you didn't intend to. I ended up in a couple of alleys, but it was fine. I mean, I, I only got mugged a couple of times. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Well, I think, too, uh, uh, just to clarify the, the, the story with HoloLens, I don't think we actually ever got to the point here. We didn't. It's the, we second, didn't. It's the second generation. Uh, it is much smaller, much lighter, much more comfortable, has a wider field of view. Uh, same price points. Again, very high, very specialized. So you're not going to buy this as a consumer. Uh, but uh, from what I've heard of it from people with experience like Mary Jo Foley and Paul Thorat. They seem to to think it's a, it's a good improvement, and Microsoft is is clearly pivoting to make this more attractive to businesses and uh, engineering, even like financial anal- uh, an- analysis things like being able to visualize data in front of you in a way that makes it more helpful. Uh, I, I don't know practically how that and, works. Hey, your but proctologists might benefit from it too. I okay. <laughs> Let's get into the real world. Let's get our hands dirty. Not oh, literally. I mean, you'd be wearing gloves, but he's supposed you know, to wear gloves. Uh... Oh okay. God. <laughs> Jim trying to add substance to our mindless discussion about things and basically just trashing AR and Microsoft in general. Which yeah. I know. Right, well, we've been going for almost two hours. Let's get to the picks of the week here. Okay. Jim, you're first. Okay. Uh, so mine is a, uh, I've been playing with 10 gig, ten gigabit networking for a while. This is our uh, uh, 10 G based T. So yeah, I wonder why. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, prices have continued to come down and this is another lower cost Nick option. Uh, it is the Saiba, uh, Siba. Uh, anybody know how to pronounce that? I don't know, but. It's a it's no. a card that is it's a the card the product is Siba Siba S Y B A uh, but it's using a Quantia ten uh, G based T chips chipset so you get your ten gigabit NIC it's a buy four PCIe card it's ninety two dollars and ninety nine cents on Amazon right now uh, and even at MSRP it's still a hundred dollars so it's a l- another lower cost option um, similar to those Asus ROG cards that came in I think around a hundred hundred twenty. So if you're looking for a lower cost 10 gig NIC, even if you don't want to invest in the switch and you don't want to spend all that extra money, you can still directly connect like your PC to your NAS and still get the 10 gig on that, uh, on that connection. So there's options there. So, you know, you buy two of these and, you know, you can use cat six cabling and you're, you've got 10 gigabit to a nice big storage array for a couple hundred bucks. Beautiful. Jeremy, uh, you have a problem? Yeah, I do. I, I really friggin' do. Because the, the, it is almost the exact same. <laughs> Why is this so much? It's I thought, damn is this, close. Gonna, is this supposed to be $100? I guess this is a third party. No, it wasn't, but it is. But mind you, buy, the, buy this classic one and it'll cost you a lot more than 200 bucks. Uh, yeah, uh, but I saw it that. is they are almost perfect. They are almost perfectly matched. Uh, and I didn't have to, oh, sorry, didn't have to pay extra money for no RGBs. Not a single RGB on this thing. It is lovely. It's slightly heavier. And hmm. honestly, when I first grabbed it, it's like my hand just suddenly 
you know, needed to be washed for a second because it felt exactly like it should. <laughs> I don't know what that yeah, means, just, and just I won't ask. Uh, and again, for the, audio, for the audio listeners, we're talking, of course, about the Logitech MX518 Legendary, the relaunch of the classic 518 mouse. Yeah, the 800. But if you click on the black gray there. On the black gray? It will take you. Oh, the different color. Oh, I see oh, the two other options. Black no. Gray. Ooh. That takes you. Oh, 4998. But that's the original one. That's the 800, 1800 DPI. Okay. I Apparently, see. someone's realized they're going to have to dump off the uh, old stock. I might have to buy that just to test it out. Yeah, just to have a spare. Yeah, what do you think of the change uh, to that that appearance? Like, I never really understood what they were doing with the appearance of the top of the mouse, where it kind of looks like it has holes in it, or those are not textured, right? I, They're just kind of like. No, it was more like a sort of a metallic look where you've got dents in metal. And a little bit of wear on it. it. There is no textural difference. It it's the same, but it's it was just sort of yeah. metal that's been stressed a bit. And they didn't well, do I, that I, on this one. I'm I, I may have to. I don't remember what is the, the MSRP uh, on the legendary supposed to be. Didn't it launch uh, at like seventy nine dollars or something? 80, I thought it was eighty nine, but yeah. Oh, well, okay. this is Canadian money too, by the way. Oh, all right, money. so we're but, talking. Yeah, yeah, this isn't real. But but I am very, very tempted to pull the uh, feet off of this, see if the screws are the same. Uh, there are uh, how many screws? One, two, three, four. Okay, and see if I can swap it. the top off and put the, <laughs> the old top on the new top, on the new base, and see how it goes. Well, Logitech told us that they, they went to the old tools and used the exact same and tool set. I up. am going to test it. Yeah, I it, can already tell you the screws don't match. Uh, that's not surprising, but, but the part the parts should should be the same in terms of like just, you know fitting in to the same slot. I am probably going to do this. All right. Okay, Josh, you Josh, sub- hey, you, you got now this, your own obsession. This didn't is, you? you need to take this kind of with a grain of salt and watch it. Don't click on it and buy it. Right. This is the 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 Vega fifty six really crappy air boost cooler from MSI. It's not. You know, it's a little loud, a little hotter. But last week it was for two sixty nine, and if you keep watch on it, it could drop again. So if you really wanted a Vega fifty six and have that sweet sweet HBM memory, and keep your eye on this, because it will drop again. Hopefully within the next couple of weeks. But you know, again, waiting for those uh, video card uh, upgrades and uh, three twenty nine. I wouldn't do it, but two sixty nine. Hell yeah. At sweet, least one. At least HBM. one person was very upset with this card, though. Two out of five. Uh, I see that a very negative yeah. review. Shocking. I wonder if it's even a verified purchase. Uh, last but not least, tonight the biggest news in the gaming world today was that for whatever reason, Blizzard, who seemed to have turned their back on their old classic games such as Warcraft, the original Warcraft, and Diablo never releasing these digitally or doing anything to update them beyond a certain point. Today, you can buy through good old games, GOG.com, the original Diablo. They have done their Sit GOG thing. And listen. Yeah. So it, That had the best music, it, though. It oh, did. It requires battle.net. Interesting. Or the, the multiplayer, I see. Okay. So I'm, 
I don't really understand why Blizzard would not want to do this themselves, but I'm I'm happy that you can just buy this and not have to worry about getting like no CD executables and copying the files from the CD. Because I have a copy of Diablo. In fact, I have two old copies of Diablo, one of which is behind me. And oh, look at that my wife, 3D effects, absolutely loves this game. Anytime I ever get it set up and installed on a computer, and she sees it, she's playing this game for like the next two or three hours straight. And but it's a pain in the you, neck because you have to have a computer with a CD drive, or you have to have ripped the files off the CD, and that's if you want to do it legitimately. Because of course, you could probably go find a copy online somewhere. Okay, Josh like and I are confused now. Thing, but what? Yeah. But did did did. Oh, Hellfire. Z it was the only expansion. And by Sierra. It wasn't by by uh by Blizzard. But it was good. Got lots more stuff. Yeah. A lot harder. Isn't Hellfire considerably higher difficulty? Mm, yeah, I guess so. But yeah. So yeah, far no Hellfire, just the original significantly quicker. That's too bad. Yeah, Sierra's not really around too much anymore, so no, they're not. Uh, Actually, that might have been one of the things that broke my original MX518 was the amount of clicks I put on that thing. Yeah. Does it still have the inventory bug where you can infinitely spawn things if you can, you know, drop them and pick them up at the same time? So when you that buy was patched, this... that was patched past like the first or second revision of the game, wasn't it? Uh, sorry, I played Jim. it, you know, back before. Yeah. Uh, so okay. w- w- when you buy this, uh, you get two options you get the original uh or at least up to like the most recent patched original truly original version except it's it runs four by three on windows 10 um and it's 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 just the original that's barely the minimum just to get it running and then you have the optimized version which does accurate pixel scaling has options for anti-aliasing and msaa although uh, it, it looks like that's not recommended because it takes away the unique, you know, it's supposed to be a little pixelated, you know, it's supposed to have that look. So you don't want to smear it and blur it. Uh, so you, you've got two ways to play it. It's not truly a remaster. It's just a, a basically a fix to get it so that you can run it because Diablo 1 in particular was was hard to run on, on older systems. And to your question, Sebastian, about why Blizzard didn't do this themselves... Uh, Ars Technica, I think it was, got an early look at this. They said that the Blizzard and GOG briefed them about a week ago. And uh, based on what they asked these companies, when you have Battle.net today, it has to use the new Battle.net infrastructure. And this game does not. And they didn't want to do the work to make that work. So they can't host it, or at least they don't want to modify their rules to host it through their current Battle.net. So they looked at GOG, which has this great history of of doing this kind of work to get older games working. And again, we don't know exactly the reasons, but it seemed like a good fit. So they they uh, uh, had them do the work for them. And, and GOG always, I mean, they've, they, they've done great work on a number of titles to yep. make, them, make them run well. Yeah. I mean, I, I could say they did that for uh, Duke Nukem 1, 2, and 3D, but of course those are no longer on GOG.com. I remember this the is good news for GOG old, though. Old Game Spy died because that was that was how they did it. Wasn't Game Spy just was Game patches Spy. or no? That was a distribution no, platform too. No, Game Spy was game, where you can join multiplayer yeah. games in a single yeah. okay. interface. But apparently, yep. this—if you do want to do multiplayer using 
old school, straight IP to IP, no, no firewall, no protections. You this will do it. This will work. If you run this version that you get from GOG, it's not necessarily recommended, but you can do it if you want to. Well, wasn't uh, wasn't the original Diablo required NetBIOS or NetBuoy or yeah. or IPX SPX? Uh, I don't. Uh, know. Yes, you could do it IPS SPS, but it was much harder than NetBuoy. Yeah, but yes, I remember setting that up. Yeah, it didn't support TCP IP. Oh, God, no, no. Yeah. Uh, You were actually better off getting a crossover cable and playing with somebody in the same place. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it it does uh, require a 14,400 BPS modem or null modem cable. Yeah, well, null modem, crossover, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Cool. Anyway, that's another week, everybody. Thanks for watching and or listening. Uh, and thanks for putting up with week. our occasional date confusion. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, was on, I was on a plane last night. I couldn't. The, the bandwidth on United Flights is not sufficient to host a remote podcast. Yeah, it's not really sufficient for anything. Yeah. Although I must say, my final leg last night from San Francisco to CVG was... Uh, it was a red eye. The most physically attractive flight crew I've ever seen in my life. All and, male I, and I'm not trying female. to be sexist or anything. It was a mixed gendered crew, but like every person on the different age ranges, races, genders, it was like everyone was like Hollywood model looking. And I got I got worried. Much- I was like, this plane's going down. This can't this isn't right. You know, most average Americans don't look like this. <laughs> There's something wrong. This is like lost weirdness. I'm on a made-for-TV movie here. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it was you were, or you. How much had you had to drink at this point? Is my question. How attractive were these people? Uh, I mean, I had a couple glasses of wine during my layover, and I was in first. Mm-hmm. I got upgraded to first for the for the flight, so I had a few drinks to start oh. the flight. But I, but I noticed them before. Oh, no I wonder had they drinks. were attractive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, there's a family guy early on where Brian is in the airport bar and he's hitting on this woman next to him. He's like laughing and he's like, he calls her, you increasingly attractive looking woman. <laughs> and I feel like that's exactly what may have happened there. No, this is, these, these are just, I mean. Oh, there are so many jokes you shouldn't tell anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the, pilot, the pilot looked like uh, Ryan Reynolds at age 60. Ryan Reynolds I don't know what attract- that means. What does that he's mean? A, he's, a, he's, he's an attractive man. I'm just saying look like you Rock mean like Hudson. Ryan Reynolds oh, yeah. after <laughs> the stuff happened to his face in the movie Deadpool? Or do you mean like Ryan Reynolds No, I mean today, like Ryan Reynolds, like the human hair. being, the very objectively attractive human being, who, but just older and still an attractive man. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, uh, God's perfect idiot. Ryan Reynolds, potentially. That's what he calls himself. Okay. I've been drinking water. Josh can't take I'm way too sober for the end. Is of that this. really just it's, water? It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just the, uh, just horrible, water. Josh. All I have is water too. Nestle Pure Life, not a sponsor yet. Not until they see this. Yeah. Cool. We gotta get, get right, I'm gonna get out of here. Money. Okay. All right. Uh, Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Good night, everybody. Thank you. See you. Good night. Thanks for watching.